Well, good evening, Friday night. I'm glad to see all of you. Enough being nice. It's entirely enough. We're going we're to get back down to business now. Brass, brass tacks, that's right, Connor. Um, my, name, my name's Brett. Uh, if you're joining us online, welcome. If you are here in the room, oh, so glad to see all of you. It's, it's wonderful. The longer I'm on staff, the more and more faces I look out, and I'm like, ah. Oh, there you are, my family. I'm so glad to see all of you. Um, for the last few weeks, we've been uh, camping out in uh, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, uh, depending on the tradition that you grew up. And we're just taking it phrase by phrase, line by line. Um, and so tonight, I'm going to read it actually right now. Um, Matthew's version is what I'll be reading uh, from. And then we'll pray it at the end. But um, here is how Matthew records it in chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 9. This then is Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus adds at the end of the prayer something that seems really relevant for what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, For verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. Uh, Jesus, you are... Uh, not in history. (laughs) You're not locked back there. You are here in this place. And so we need you to come and speak life into all of us tonight. We want gospel, good news to invade this world, this city, our families, our workplaces, and yes, even our hearts. And so do it. Do it. Best we know how we invite you, come and speak, Lord, for your children are listening. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think uh, the great writer Anne Lamott is uh, right when she says that most prayers can be boiled down into three basic categories. Uh, I've got them up here on a slide for us. Um, They are thanks, help, wow. Like, that's most of what we talk to God about. It's thanks, like, feta cheese is on sale. Thank you, God. I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh, I'm running late. Help, God. I have to be there on time. This meal is delicious. Wow, God, you came up with this? Wow, for taste buds. Wow, for feta cheese. I don't know why I fed a cheese tonight. But, um, and these are great prayers. I don't want to discount any of these prayers. Like, they're good, legitimate prayers. It's a good thing throughout our day to be breathing out thanks and help and wow. But do you know what all of these prayers have in common? They have in common the same thing, and that is that they are all reactions, They are all reactive to what is going on in our lives. The genius 
of how Jesus teaches us to pray is that, well, first he gives us a 30-second prayer, which is genius in itself, because a 30-second prayer is actually a prayer that we might actually pray, you know what I mean? Like, it's 30 minutes long, but 30 seconds I can do. Um, But second, um, Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that is proactive rather than reactive, These seven simple phrases that we're going through uh, here in the Lord's Prayer, these phrases do not change depending on what is going on in my life. They are not reacting to what's going on in my life. They're not reactive to what's going on. And because that's because these seven simple phrases are proactively forming my life into a particular kind of shape. It's rooting me in a particular kind of story, a, a way of seeing the world. And tonight... Um, Jesus, we invite you to rock our worlds and shape our worlds because tonight there's a profound amount of reshaping that Jesus wants to do because tonight we're exploring that line, forgive us our debts is what Jesus says in Matthew. It's the worst part of the Lord's Prayer according to American Express and MasterCard. But on the other hand, it's the favorite part of anyone with student loans or a mortgage. <laughs> I'll take some of that, you know. Uh, forgive us our debts debts is the way that Matthew puts it. Um, This actually, confession time, this isn't the way that I typically pray um, this prayer, and it's not the way that any of us have prayed it for any any of this series. This, um, uh, we say a different word here. Uh, The prayer is preserved by two of the gospel, of two of the four gospel writers, and what I normally pray, and what we've been praying week after week, is not recorded by either of them, actually. Um, Matthew preserves Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 6. Forgive us our ophelama, ophelama, our debts in um, the centuries leading up to Jesus, forgiving a debt actually became a way of, it became a common expression to talk about forgiving a sin. Um, If I suddenly hurt somebody, um, I am suddenly in debt to make things right with that person. And so Matthew is preserving, like it's almost certainly like an Aramaic expression that Jesus used when he was talking to Aramaic-speaking Jews here on the Sermon of the Mount. And that makes sense because Matthew's gospel appears to have been written for a um, primarily Jewish community. Luke, on the other hand, so it's also preserved in Luke, Luke's is writing to a non-Jewish audience, probably an audience that doesn't know Aramaic expressions or Aramaic words. And so in Luke 11, uh, Luke uses a different word. He says, forgive us our amartia, our sins. Luke gets rid of the word debt and he clarifies what Jesus was meaning by using the word amartia, the word sin. Um, This would have, I grew up with a way of reading the Bible that Does anyone feel uncomfortable that the gospel writers are using two different words here? You don't have to show your hands, but I grew up in a tradition where this would have made me profoundly uncomfortable, Uh, but it actually is a source of great comfort to me at this point because we do this all the time when somebody um, is learning English for um, the first time and they hear an expression like, 
Time sure flies, doesn't it? When they hear that for the first time, they're going to look really confused. And then somebody clarifies the expression for them. No, 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 no. We're not, don't look up in the sky. We're not talking about something actually flying. You can't see time. You know that. Um, We're talking about that feeling of like time seems to pass really quickly sometimes. That's what Luke's doing here. Um, Someone, like, this is um, something... The phrase is something, uh, forgive us our debts, is a phrase that a Jewish audience would have been familiar with. It's a Matthewism, is what we could call it. Um, and Luke feels the need to clarify it, lest anybody misunderstand it. For people who don't know the expression, uh, we should take comfort in this because Luke, uh, he could have taken that phrase and run with it. Forgive us our debts. MasterCard and Visa and American Express, watch it. Luke records some of the most, Jesus' most radical teachings about money in his gospel. And man, oh man, debt forgiveness would have fit in really nicely between the parable of the rich fool building bigger and bigger barns and that story of Zacchaeus giving back embezzled money. But the gospel writers care desperately about accuracy. They care about handing it to us so that we don't miss. They're actually trying to represent what Jesus meant when he was talking. And so Luke clarifies what Jesus meant by forgive us debts, even though he could have like plopped it right there in the middle of his gospel and and it would have fit with stuff that was really important to him. He wants to make sure that nobody is missing the point of what Jesus is saying here. And then old William Tyndale did the same thing in 1526 when he translated the Bible into English and he used the word trespass, which is what all of us are familiar with. Debtor's prison had become less of a thing by the 16th century and property rights were starting to become a really big thing. Trespassing on property could land you in jail. And so his translation, trespass, made its way into the English prayer book and Bob's your uncle, history lessons done. That's why we pray it this way. Um, All of that is a roundabout way, uh, by introduction, of saying debts, trespasses, sins, all of them are getting at the same underlying reality that Jesus is grounding us in the real world. We regularly wrong others, and others regularly wrong us. Is what Jesus looks at his disciples. He looks at all of us with 2020 realistic vision, and he doesn't want anyone in the room to be surprised that not only are others going to wrong you, 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 good faithful follower of Jesus, are going to regularly be wronging other people. You haven't made it yet. This is something you're going to need to repent of this with regularity. Um, so make this a part of your regular praying. It comes right on the heels of give us this day our daily bread. It's, it's like just like we need a, a steady diet of daily food. Um, we need a steady diet of confessing. A steady diet of forgiving. So get this. This is what kind of blows my mind. Being a good human involves regularly confessing, I'm not a perfect human. 
That's how you become a better human being is you get honest and vulnerable. I'm not perfect. Um, We're not talking about like whipping ourselves or shaming ourselves or beating ourselves up or something. We're talking about two things. We're talking about two things. Honesty and vulnerability is what we're talking about here. Honesty with ourselves. <laughs> First and foremost, I'm not perfect. And vulnerability with other people. We have a uh, four-year-old and a five-year-old in our house right now. And so we've got daily arguing, daily yelling, daily crying. But enough about joy in me. You should see our kids. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, uh, if you ever want to have your patience broken and pulverized, ground up in a mortar, swept up with a dustpan, and then sneezed back to you in the face, um, try living with multiple preschool-age children. It's, it's just the age, man. It's like they're going 100 miles an hour, doing 1,000 different things, speaking millions of words, all while ricocheting off themselves, the other, they're all over the house in like a dozen different ways. And so Joy and I were just, we were just talking about this the other day, that like, it feels like a 10-minute conversation. It feels like it takes two hours to complete it with all the interruptions, if we complete it at all. It's, it's this age where you're trying to teach them like little things, like patience, self-control for crying out loud. The other day, Joy and I were uh, trying to have like, it, it really should have been like a 10-minute conversation. It was about some sort of tender topic that was like important to both of us. Um, and our five-year-old Daphne interrupted us again after just being asked not to. And I did the dad snap. Does anyone know what the dad snap is? Yeah. Can we please just have five minutes? Bluster, bluster, bluster. I just want to finish a sentence. And da- and. It's pretty good, right? <laughs> and Daphne, she freezes and tears well up in her eyes. And I, um, I walked into the other room to take a few deep breaths and stop blustering. And when, um, while I was breathing, I thought, Brett, you could have handled that better. She, yes, she's the one who needs to learn patience. Yeah, Brett, she's the one who needs to learn self-control. I try to keep short accounts with people in my life, uh, especially my kiddos and my bride. And so I walked back into the room and I confessed. I, um, I got down with our five-year-old, with a five-year-old, and I locked eyes with her through our tears, both of our tears, Papa should not have talked to you that way. I got mad about being interrupted and I did something I shouldn't have done. Daphne, I shouldn't have done that. It wasn't okay. Will you forgive me? Yes, yes, yes. And, 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 and don't worry, parents. We're like, we, we went on to address her patience and self-control and not interrupting grown-ups and blah, blah, blah. But like, it was only after confessing my own lack of patience and self-control because I am super aware 
that I am always modeling for those around me, especially my kids, how much honesty and vulnerability are safe. How much are actually safe. If I want to receive apologies, I've got to show that I am a safe person who is just as willing to make apologies. Giving confession unlocks getting confession. Is, is not, not, we're not talking about over-confessing or, or confessing things you don't need to or not, not apologize. We're, not, we're not apologizing for, for nothing, but we're talking about honestly owning where we have actually wronged people and getting vulnerable about the debt we now owe them. Honesty, that thing, that moment, that choice, that series of choices that I am making, it's not good. It wasn't good what I did. Vulnerability. I hurt you. How can I pay this debt? Or we we say it like this. We say, how can I make this up to you is the debt language that we use. Um, Honesty and vulnerability are the only way to have lasting, real relationship with other human beings. It's true for people, and it's actually also true for God. <laughs> like, if we, we want to have a lasting, real relationship with God, we got to get honest and vulnerable with him. And with this, we're getting actually close to the, the heart of the Christian message, the reality that this beautiful and good world that we live in is actually also brutally broken. And we too, me too, me, I'm actually part of the brokenness. And sometimes I even like being part of the brokenness. But but have you heard the good news? Have you heard the gospel? Have you heard what God is like? Oh, it's so good. Colossians 2, one of the early Christian writings puts it this way. Verse 13 of chapter 2. When you were dead because of the things you had done wrong and because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done. When was it? It was when you were dead. God already done it. He's forgave all the things you had done wrong. He destroyed the record of the debt we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. So let me tell you the gospel. Let me tell you what God is like. We are all hopelessly in debt. Like all of us Part of the brokenness and God became one of us to cancel our debt, to forgive our debt. And he did that by absorbing our debt. Have you ever had to absorb a debt? Like maybe you loaned money to a person or like a tool that was really important to you. People use tools, apparently, to like woodwork and so on. Or like a piece of clothing or a book. That's more my speed. A book that was really meaningful or something. And for whatever reason, you never got it back. You never got it back. What was that? Joy's laughing at me. over there. Anyway, you never got it back. But if you value the relationship, if you still want to be together with this person, what do you do? He absorbed the debt. Oh, and it hurts. 
And the bigger the debt, the harder it hurts. That's like a picture of what's happening on the cross with Jesus. It's not that God demands blood in order to repay something. It's that God's own blood, the blood of Jesus of Nazareth, splattered on the wood, dripping on the dirt, that blood shows us how serious human brokenness is, how much of a debt we owed, and demonstrates how costly and painful it is to absorb all that has gone wrong and it shows us that God values his relationship with you is what it, God says I want you I want you I want you even though you owe me even though you screwed it up again and again, even though you're broken, here, look, I will carry the broken. Here, it hurts like hell, but I will become the broken. Here, I have destroyed your debt, and I'm going to destroy the sin that still lurks in you so that you can be fully alive. The gospel, my friends, is that Jesus rescues me from life defined by my sin, is what he does. That's the gospel. That's what God is like. It's actually embedded in this prayer right here. Jesus prays our sin with us so that we can pray our Father with him. Jesus doesn't have sin. Why is Jesus praying this prayer? We're praying with Jesus is what this series is called. Jesus owns it with us. Our sin is what he says so that you can say, our father, you and your life are more than your worst decision. You and your life are defined by more than that pattern or behavior or brokenness. You are released. You are free. You are a child of God. So says Jesus by sharing this prayer with us. He takes our sin and we take his status is what happens. My father in heaven gets to define my life. He gets to define your life. The debt is absorbed. The sin is forgiven. You are loved. And your future is open because the grave is empty. Jesus is risen. Love is stronger than hate. That's the gospel. Will you believe Jesus this evening when he says it to you? It's such breathtakingly good news. And, and there is a flip side to the coin here in this prayer because this prayer also indicates that Jesus rescues me from life defined by their sin. Whoever they are, whoever it was that wrong, the same Jesus who says, I absorb your debt, I forgive your sin, now he also, in this context, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, now turn the other cheek. Now go the extra mile. Now freely give and give extra 
love your neighbor. And don't hate your enemies. Don't bomb your enemies. Don't shoot your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. All of that is like, that's the end of Matthew chapter 5 right here. And this prayer is the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. We are right smack dab in the middle of the upside down world of the Sermon on the Mount. And baked in to this prayer is the assumption that we too are going to be forgiving other people's sins. That the the same people who are asking for grace are also willing to extend the grace to others. Forgive us, what does the prayer say? Forgive us as we also have forgiven And then Matthew, (laughs) writing to a very Jewish community, includes that heart-stopping statement right after the prayer to underline how significant and important this is. If you do not forgive, it's not a good thing. If you do not forgive, your father will not forgive, is what he says. And then Matthew, of all, of all the gospel writers, Matthew goes on in chapter 18 he to tell a, a lengthy parable to just punch the point again. He tells us uh, this parable about a servant who's released by a king from a monster debt. But this servant refuses to release a fellow servant from a moderate debt. Um, that parable in chapter 18 of Matthew, it like, punches the point again, if you do not forgive, your father, quote, will not forgive. This is so confusing to me because last I checked, and I've read the Gospels a lot, I find zero instances of Jesus checking if somebody qualifies for forgiveness before he forgives them. It's not like the stories would read really differently if we had passive-aggressive Jesus wandering around Galilee saying, I know your friends just lowered you through that roof, but let's look into your heart and see if you got any unforgiveness there. Oh, you do? Well, turns out I've got some in my heart too. <laughs> what exactly does Jesus mean right here is a question. Like, because we're not the ones who start or stop forgiveness in the heart of God. We just read that in the Apostle Paul. If we are, that means we change God. And that somehow we're the ones saving ourselves. Or so, like, in his unfathomable love, God forgives us. God saves us. The debt is absorbed by grace, by Jesus, not by us or by anything we do. And so what exactly does Jesus mean right here? It's, if it seems strange on the surface, maybe we should follow Luke's lead from just a little earlier and ask, is this another Matthewism? That needs to be clarified. Well, it turns out that this statement about your father not forgiving your sins shows up only in Matthew's gospel. Red lights flashing. Like, is this something that would have resonated deeply with his Aramaic-speaking, deeply Jewish audience? It turns out it is. When, When they heard, we'll say it this way, 
when they heard, if y'all forgive others' sins, y'all's heavenly Father will also forgive y'all. But if y'all don't forgive others, neither will y'all's Father forgive y'all's sins. Number one, yeah, I know, it's funny. Um, but number one, they heard all of the U's just like that because they're all plural. Pastor Daniel's pointed out several times there are no first person singular pronouns in this prayer. We are all in this together. Jesus is addressing a group of people here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to a Jewish audience and he's tapping into language of the Jewish scriptures. Promises like Jeremiah, uh, I don't know if the references are on that. Yeah, like this. Promises like Jeremiah 31 or Isaiah 40. Take a snapshot if you want. You got homework if you want to check me on this. God is promising to forgive a group of people their national sins. And as, um, as a people, Israel found themselves in exile, not where they were supposed to be because of their sins. And forgiveness of sins is essentially a promise that God is going to bring his people back to where they're supposed to be so that they can become what they are destined to become, a blessing to the nations. So this phrase your father will not forgive your sins. This is not about, thank goodness, it's not about God's experience. As in, God's not gonna give up nursing his grudge, you know, against all of us for for crying out loud. I mean, that's an exhausting number of grudges. I thought one was really heavy. Um, Your father will not forgive your sins is a warning Hey, group of people that I'm talking to, you, it is possible to miss out on these promises of the prophets, of the new thing that God is going to do. Because God is coming and he's making a new people who will reflect his image into the world. And his image is a forgiving image. And you look nothing like it when you're not Forgiving. Forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament is about God creating new covenant, new creation kinds of people who will bring blessing to the world. God is bringing people back from the wilderness, back from exile into the land of blessing. But you can't feel the shores of blessing through the shoes of bitterness. You can't do it. He's wanting to root you into a certain spot to be a certain kind of person. And you got to take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. That's the essential point, I believe, that Jesus is getting at here. He is not... This is where we just dial in for just a second and we're done. He's not making threats. He's making guardrails is what he's doing. He's saying, whoa, watch out. Unforgiveness is not the way. It's not going to take you anywhere good. It's like, I feel burdened to address this this part of right after the prayer tonight um, because some of us in the room are like deeply wounded. 
deeply wounded. You're wounded by someone who hurt you, but you heard these words from Jesus, and now you feel doubly wounded. You feel wounded by God, too. It's like God is siding with the abuser that you've, like God is threatening you in your woundedness. I know that that was the worst thing you ever experienced, but you better get over it quick, is what some of us hear with this Matthewism. In a room this size, statistically, there are, um, it's hard for me to believe, but there's several dozen of you who have experienced domestic abuse. It's hard for me to believe, but there's several dozen of you who have um, experienced sexual assault. Uh, and some of us in the room have experienced um, oppression because of the color of our skin. And some of you are struggling, like deeply struggling with how to forgive like that person or that group of people or like that entire system. And it's not that you don't want to forgive, it's that you don't know how. It's like the wound was so deep, the experience was so traumatic that you, and you felt so isolated and alone that you're trying to figure out how to like move forward and you hear these words and you think, I better get over it quick because I've got Jesus threatening me here. And I'll, um, I'll tell you what we end up doing in these sorts of cases. We tend to like push it away. We tend to like, I'm not going to think about it because I'm so angry. I'm so sad because I know that I haven't forgiven them, but I can never think about it because like never think about it because if I've forgotten it, well, maybe that's as good as forgiving it. And then hopefully I'm not in danger from God. Can I tell you something tonight? It's okay that it's taking a long time to grieve it. What they did was horrible. And it's right that you're angry. It is right that you're sad. It's right that you have been wrestling through it. It is okay. It's totally normal that forgiveness is a process that takes a long time. Sometimes, depending on what it was, maybe even a lifetime But forgiveness, it is a process. It is the ongoing decision. It's something that just continues. It's the ongoing decision to entrust our bitterness and ultimate justice to God. That's what we're invited to. In my life, I would say that there are um, three people that I've really struggled uh, with forgiving. I mean, like, they profoundly wounded me. They came in family and in ministry. Um, One was a deep betrayal in my first marriage, and uh, the other two involved untrue accusations about me from ministry leaders that caused me to lose my job. Um, And it's taken me a long time to entrust my bitterness to God, to trust him with justice. But, But as I do, little by little, I find that somehow he releases me from it. Somehow, like, I don't know how, God is actually even filling me with love for them. And I'll go like months or even years thinking I'm like completely done with it. And then, oh, wait, there's just a little bit more. And then I have to make the decision to continue the ongoing process 
of forgiveness. Jesus' strong warning is not a threat. It is a guardrail. He's warning about what happens when we embrace the opposite direction of what he's telling us to go. He's of when we define our lives by their sin, when we harbor bitterness, when we cultivate resentment, when we nurse the grudge, Jesus is saying that is not Jeremiah 31 kind of life. That is not new creation kind of life. That is not resurrection life. That's not forgiveness of sins kind of life. Warning, warning, that place is death. So don't live there. Don't live there. Jesus is not teaching us that we should be made out of Teflon and that everything should be immediately just like rolling right off of us. Jesus is not teaching us that we should be made out of rubber, and that we should like just bounce back from whatever happens. What Jesus is teaching us is that new creation people eventually become like him, trusting God with ultimate justice. Blessing others through our bruises. Giving life to others even through our wounds. What Jesus is saying is keep following me. Keep praying with me and eventually I am going to make you whole. Someone send you into the tombs, but you are not going to stay there. You're not going to stay there, my sister. You're not going to stay there, my brother. Other people regularly send their sin into us, and they do. They owe you a debt, but through the Spirit, you can. You can. It's gospel. You can release them from that debt. You're invited to take off the shoes of bitterness and feel the shores of blessing. You're invited to experience the freedom and joy of resurrection life and radiate new life to those around you. Brothers and sisters, we have been set free from our debts and we can set others free from theirs. So I invite you to stand right now. We're going to come to the table, but as we're preparing to come to the table, I want us to pray this Matthean, Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer. And so join me in praying the words of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And now you know the traditional, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, we ask that you would make this prayer true in our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
You can get your communion elements ready. And I love how Brett emphasized that Jesus is not trying to manipulate forgiveness out of us. He's not trying to leverage us tonight. And at the table, we see who he is. Here's a meal. Let me feed you. It's hospitality. Let me feed you back to life. Forgiveness of our sins and calling forgiveness out of us toward others, that's what life looks like. And so tonight, Jesus, thank you for forgiving us. Can you, say, can you begin to just deal with the Lord and, and say thank you for all the forgiveness, for all the moments where he's wooed you back home, for all the moments where he's accepted you, where he says, where are your accusers? Now go and sin no more. Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. You may receive the bread tonight. And on the same night, Jesus took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins and as often as you do this do this for the remembrance of me friends tonight the very worst things we've ever done are being drowned away into the sea of forgetfulness they're being buried away from they're, they're being carried they're being absorbed by the only one who can absorb them you are clean tonight you are forgiven tonight. You may receive from Jesus. And now let's sing this song together in worship.
Because of Christ, we are forgiven. We are free. We are free, Lord. Come on, we champion. And then on the third, break of dawn. Come on. The Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample. tonight as we go tonight I pray the blessing of God over you and all your people pray may the Lord our God bless you and keep you may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people and may he grant you peace and I pray that you'd grant that same peace that you extend that same mercy everywhere you go Lord let us be those people we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? Thank you, Pastor Brett. I want to invite the prayer team to come down. We would love to pray with you, any of you, about any prayer needs you might have. If you're new, come see us out at Connect Central in the lobby. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.